0: I want you to be in an attitude of prayer this morning. We always are, but I want to pray this morning that we could be additionally calibrated and praying for minds that we won't be distracted. I'm going to ask, if you have a Bible, use your Bible. Let's try to minimize the use of digital devices, unless your Bible is on that, and I understand that. But I want you to be clear this morning as to where God is leading us and what God is saying to us so that we can be awake and ready for the Lord to use every one of us this morning. Let's bow our heads. Kind Father, loving Lord. The songwriter said at best, Oh, my Lord, what a time. What a time. We are beginning to see the crumbling, the demolition, not only of the secular world, but of the Christian church. And Christians today, Father, Whose anchors are not planted in your word are becoming casualties by the moment. And so we pray today, Lord, as we open your word and as we ask for your spirit to guide and lead, that you'll speak to us as soldiers at their posts, as watchmen on the wall, as disciples as soldiers in the army of the Lord. And take this message now, Lord, and help us to understand where our last line of defense is and how important and critical and urgent it is for us to prepare for what is just ahead. May Jesus be exalted. May your word be proliferated. And may your people be strengthened. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. For so long, we have talked about signs of the end. There shall be wars and rumors of wars, nation rising against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And for so many decades, we have pretty much focused on those signs as indicators of where we are in the time clock of end time events. And so people have said, well, you've been saying that. My grandfather said it. His father said it. And we're still here. But the Lord has reserved certain signs to take place in the closing hours of Earth's history that grandpa didn't see that daddy didn't see and these signs are taking place around us and as much as we like to look outside of the church what's happening next in this corner of the world or in that political party or in this church or that movement or that economic institution many of us are unaware that the signs of the end the more pertinent the more critical signs are going to take place in the church. Not in the world, because as one person, I I read a story once, it was a very interesting short little story, almost parabolic, where it was about a little cork that was in a large ocean, and as he was floating along, a whale came and whacked that little half-ounce cork with the fury of an angry whale. And for a split second, that cork disappeared and popped right back to the surface. And I remember the caption at the bottom, it all the water in the world cannot drown a cork because it's not about his size. It's what he's made of. And I thought about that. Here we are in the world with so many things happening around us. And we seem to be so small and insignificant in the whale is trying to slap the church down. But Joe, I'm going to say it's not the size of the church. But it's what we are made of that's going to keep us from going down with the rest of the world. Amen to that? So, I don't want to call you a cork in an insensitive way. But we ought to be buoyant when we see the signs of the times. We ought not let a failing economy cause us to bury our heads like like a big bird, fearful of what's coming. We ought to see the crumbling of a government... Wars breaking out around the world. We ought to see all those as harbingers that Jesus is coming again. And nothing and no one. And Lord, I'm saying this with a humble heart. I'm praying because I know that I'm my own worst enemy. The devil's not even my worst enemy because he can't do to me what I don't allow him to do to me. But I'm praying that we don't become our own worst enemy. Revelation, the message to Laodicea, indicates that Laodicea and the condition of Laodicea causes us to be our own worst enemy. So today we're going to talk about the last line of defense. And as Elder Durant read the scripture, he that is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Today, I can make the declaration that I know you will all agree. We don't want to be against Christ. We want to gather with Him. There are people in the world that are yet to be gathered in. We want to gather in with Him. Thursday evening, I had a chance to be invited My good friend, Pastor Ivor Meyer, many of you know him, sent me a a text and said, join this social media forum. Well, I'm always leery about social media forums. He says, you got to be on this social media forum. I said, what's it called? He said, Clubhouse. Well, the title, I came from the world, (laughs) Clubhouse. I don't want to be in a clubhouse. He said, this forum is no video. It's only audio. And people are on there searching for the truth. You'll have an opportunity to establish your own chat room and teach whatever you want. But come on and sign in. And you cannot come. You can't join. You have to be invited. All right. He said, I'm sending you an invite. So I got online, downloaded, it's an, right now, it is so brand new, it's only on the Apple platform. So I said, I don't have an Apple phone, but I have an iPad, he said, that's good enough. So I downloaded the app, and I was invited in, and I decided, he said, now, one of the most controversial rooms on here has more than 1,000 people in it. And these are folk that, for the most part, don't have any doctrinal connection. If they do, they don't say it. These are people that are searching. They are from every walk of life, every class, every philosophy, whether religious or political, whether secular or whatever the case may be. They're looking for something. They're looking. The harvest is ripe. The laborers are few. They're looking for something. And their ears are opening to listen to whatever is out there. So I went into the room called... That, are, that is being hosted by a movement called Hebrew Israelites, another diversion to the truth, another movement that though it has a religious exterior, is nothing but a diversion to the truth. And they made this statement as I was listening. They said Pentecostals are wrong, Baptists are wrong, Seventh-day Adventists are wrong. And I felt like Muhammad Ali, where are my boxing gloves? Because they just called me out. And I waited. You got to wait till they call you in. I tapped the microphone. I tapped the hand, which means I want to say something. But there were about nine people ahead of me. I sat there and waited for about an hour and 15 minutes as I listened to each person fall like flies because these guys are ruthless. The spirit of Satan is it's on their tip of their tongues, and they are ready to chop you down. So I listened as each person came in. They fell like flies. These guys were reading Scripture, cutting people up like grass, misapplying Scripture, Moses, misquoting Bible verses, Ricky. But folk that did not know their Bible, I just, I just saw the blood gushing out as they were being mutilated by these guys who said, if it ain't in the Bible, we don't want to talk about it. All right. So the Lord said, I'm going in. You coming with me? I'm coming with you. I'm going in. So I went in. Boxing gloves on. I prayed, Father, you taught me. Now you do it. they were saying that salvation is only for this secular this section of society and racial statements blacks versus white and black gospel and the white slavery and all this foolishness how you know white men have destroyed made people slaves with christianity and there was stuff going all over the place i'm thinking lord have mercy is this what we're going to face he said yes but I'm going in. You're going in with me? I'm going in with you. Had all my scriptures together, my points, and I began at one question at a time. They don't want you to make a statement. They said, what's your question? I said, did I hear you say? And I posed my question. He said, what's your question? I said, I just asked you my question. I said, I'd like, he said, so he said, yes, that's what we said. I said, could you read Romans? And I, gave, I started going with the scriptures. Could you read this? Could you read that? Could you read this? Could you read that? And they don't even let you read the scriptures. They have a guy that reads it. They don't want, they don't want you to say squat. They want to be the ones to control the forum. But I was choosing scriptures that they were cutting off their own limbs piece by piece. You said that Gentiles are a diversion. You said that Christianity is a farce. But Acts 17 says that in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So is Christianity a farce? But you said, if the Bible doesn't say it, you don't believe it. What does the Bible say? Didn't Agrippa say when Paul stood before him, you almost persuaded me to be a Christian? So is there something wrong with Christianity when the disciples were Christians? What's a Christian a follower of Christ? So the Lord allowed me, to launch into a soliloquy where they couldn't even breathe for 20 minutes. They couldn't breathe because the Lord sent a smoke bomb of scriptures and they didn't have a gas mask. They couldn't breathe. They were disoriented. They didn't know how to handle it. Because the scriptures are sharper than any two-edged sword. So I said, I kept going, I kept going, I kept going, I kept going. I said, What's the difference between a Hebrew and an Israelite? Couldn't tell me. I said, Hebrews are what they were called before they left, before they left Canaan. Israelites were what they were called after they were came out of Egypt and were on their way to Canaan. They were Hebrews on their way in Egypt, Israelites on their way out. What's the difference between a Jew? They didn't understand their Bibles. They were dealing with people that were honest, but truly ignorant. And when they tried to regain their strength, then he said to me, okay, I'll give you two more minutes. And at the end of that time, just summarize your thoughts. I said, I appreciate that very opportunity to summarize my thoughts. I said, here's what you said. Here's what the Bible says. I rest my thesis. On the heels of that, a demon came out at the top of his voice and yelled, I don't even want to do this because if I do it right now with the strength he used, I would lose my voice for the rest of the sermon. He said, everything you said was a lie. And here's why. And he launched into this demonic tirade, at which time I went, boop, I'm out. And I call, and I sent a text to Ivar. I said, "Why would you invite me into such a vicious forum?" He said, "Get back online." I said, "Okay." He said, "Get back online. Look at your account." He said, "Expect that." But that's not why I asked you to come online. Because while he said, Pastor Loma King, you waxed eloquently. What happened never happens. They always cut folk off. But they couldn't cut you off because they they got knocked off balance. They didn't know how to handle someone who knew the scriptures. He said, go look at your account. He said, you just gained 38 new followers. I looked at, I just went on. He said, you know why? Because there are folk listening. And they made one attempt to try to cut me off. And a young lady unmuted her mic and said, let him speak. Let him speak. And they paused. And I want to tell you, friends, that was Thursday night. And I came away and I said, Ivor, here's what we're going to do. We're going to set up our own room. And we're going to talk about the truth as it is in Jesus. And we're going to do this on a weekly cadence on a forum. And he said, you know, John, and I said, Ivor, the Lord just showed us the harvest is ripe, but the labors are few. And I said to my family, if you want to know how well you know your Bible, expose yourself to people that are not Christians, that are not Adventists, to find out whether or not you know your Bible. Because you don't have time to say, I know it's in the scripture somewhere, because you'll immediately lose credibility. You better quote chapter and verse. You better make your points clear. And I said, Lord, you taught me. Now it's our time. He said, I'm going in. Are you going in with me? That was Thursday night. Last night, Lord have mercy, I thought to myself, yes, there is, there's a problem in the Christian world. There's a problem in the secular world. We know they don't like Adventists and the devil's angry with those who keep the commandments of God and so on and so forth. Last night, as we were having family worship with family, with family, we all had our cameras on, but one person didn't. We thought, that's unusual. We always have our cameras on. We don't unmute our mics. This is family. We found out that one of those in our form that we thought we knew showed us for the next two and a half hours. Thinking that that person is a Seventh-day Adventist, believing what we believe, we were launched into another demonic attack. And after we were done, we couldn't, we just said, what just happened? What just Happened, And we came to discover that what happened showed us that in the Seventh-day Adventist church, there are traditional Seventh-day Adventists who may be generational Seventh-day Adventists who don't know their Bible to save their lives, don't know what they believe, have no way of defending their faith. All they know is they don't like what you believe. And they'll fight against the Holy Spirit. He ain't a part of the Godhead. They'll start saying stuff like Jesus was created by God. They'll say that 1844, the judgment, that's a false message. And every wind of doctrine is blowing. But the Lord showed me Thursday and Friday that we have more to fear from within than from without. And if we don't know our Bibles, we are going to be lacerated and mutilated by those who walk with us. Because when you ignore your last line of defense, as a soldier knows it, when you lower your guard, when you should be awake on your post, you have victimized the entire platoon. And today we're going to talk about our last line of defense. The church is growing backward, and this COVID environment has revealed a condition that we knew existed, but we now see that it is like, and I don't want to sound insensitive, the church is in ICU spiritually. And but for the grace of God, many of our members will not make it out alive because they are sidetracked by their phones they come to church spending time on Facebook. They can't listen to a sermon. They don't join prayer meeting online. They don't join Vespers online. They have no spiritual diet in their own lives. And they're falling like flies. And the devil is increasing his intensity with a new strain of COVID. Churches are now closing again, locking up their doors. And what Ellen White said, I see it coming to pass with blazing accuracy. And by the way, the sermon didn't start yet. What the church failed to do in times of peace, she will be forced to do under the most trying circumstances. Brethren, we must get back to our last line of defense. The Apostle Paul, 1 Timothy 4 and verse 16, listen to what he said. And the word doctrine now has become a curse word in many Adventist circles. The word doctrine. We have now found a church that is satisfied with the pablum of just saying Jesus. Oh, just Jesus only. Well, if that's what the Lord indicated, if all we had to say was Jesus, then we could be a demon. The demons believe in Jesus and they tremble. But the word of the Lord made it so clear. Yes, I am your savior, but I'm sending you out on the field. You don't yell Jesus to demons alone. but You have to have to have a defense. And in the armor of God, if all we needed was the armor of salvation and faith and the gospel of peace, then the Lord has said, you don't need a sword, but we need a sword. Without a sword, your defenses are weak. The Apostle Paul yells to a late generation these words, 1 Timothy 4, 16. Notice the two words. It sounds like a guy that is at the guard post, and the enemy are not too far away. He said, take heed to yourself. Watch out. Know who you are. And to the, what is the next word? Doctrine. Continue in them. Why? Why is it important for Seventh-day Adventist Christians to know what they believe intricately? He says, for in doing this, you will save both yourself, do you want to be saved? And those who hear you, if you continue in what you have learned doctrinally, you will be saved, and those who hear you are going to be saved. But if you don't, You won't be saved, and those who hear you won't be saved. Brethren, is that a pendulum? If you've ever seen one, that's a pendulum. That's a fulcrum point. Salvation or not, saved or not, leading people to destruction or leading them to life. Continue in the doctrine, for in so doing, you will both save yourself and those who hear you. I want to make it very clear. We have entered the most trying hour for the Seventh-day Adventist Church. The thing that really gets me, though, is somehow there seems to be a melting. We're like a piece of chocolate on a hot stove. We're beginning to merge much of our emotions and energies into general Christianity. And churches that are satisfied with 45 minutes of music, which I love music. I'm a musician. I love singing. We got to get back to that sooner or later. Can I get an amen? I'm missing it. But Jesus in the Garden of Eden, did. Jesus in the Garden of Temptation didn't sing to the devil. Huh. He said, it is written. What did he say? It is, it is written. He didn't say one time. He didn't say it twice. He said it three times. It is written. And if you don't know what's written, you don't have the devil say, well, let's talk about it. Look at the patterns. Eve fell because she diluted and ignored what the Lord said. And every step in Scripture where people fell is because they ignored what God said or they did not know what God said. And for those of us who who plan on entering the, the crisis before us, the early time of trouble, the time of trouble, The storm, as Ellen White said, that is about to break upon the world, for those of us that think they're going to enter that without being ready and knowing what they believe, are going to fall like flies. The servant of the Lord says, In the summertime, the trees are not distinguishable one from another, but when the cold blast of winter comes, only the evergreen stands out. I want to be an evergreen in God's kingdom. What do you say? Because the storm is about to break upon the world And of the Lord says, shall we not be preparing ourselves for what shall break upon the world as an overwhelming surprise? We haven't seen the devil's best yet. But as we sit here today, three unclean spirits like frogs are going to the kings of the earth and the whole world, getting them ready for the battle of Armageddon. And what a battle it's going to be. The church, it is no time for us to begin to grow backward. While God's church is advancing forward, Satan in various ways are urging God's people to go backward. He wants us to go backward. And the reason is clear why he wants us to go backward, because Satan is intensely concerned with God's last line of defense. It's too late to grow backward. What do you say? I read a story about a woman who grew backward. Listen carefully. The lady who grew backwards was a woman who lived in Virginia some years ago. In the Virginia Medical Monthly, this is not a parable. This is a true story. In the Virginia Medical Monthly, her doctor told the story. She had grown normally, married and had three children. Life was good until the husband and father died when the children were in high school. The mother doubled her devotions to her children. She changed her clothes to those of a girl of 20. She joined in her children's party and started having fun with them. In a few years, the children noticed that as they grew older, their mother was growing younger. Psychiatrists called it personality regression, which means a person emotionally begins walking backwards. Usually, certain people stop going backward at a certain age. But with personality regression, they just keep going backward. But not this woman. She slipped backward at the rate of one year for every three to four months of time that went forward. Although she was 61 years old, she acted like a six-year-old. She was sent to a sanitarium where she insisted on wearing short dresses, playing with toys, and babbling like a child. Then she became like a three-year-old. She spilled her food, crawled on the floor and cried, Mama, backwards still further. To the age of one, she drank milk, curled up like a tiny baby. Finally, she went back to the line. She went back over the line, and she died. Personality regression. The devil wants the church to go through spiritual regression. He wants us to go back, not back to where we met Christ, but go back to that weak, uncommitted, worldly personality that causes Christianity to become nothing but a spark of similar small interests in our lives. My brethren, this is not something that's unusual because the children of Israel had the same, same situation challenge them. Look at Numbers chapter 14, verse 3 and 4. During one of earth's most fragile times in history. There were those among the Israelites that wanted their leaders to be involved in spiritual regression. Notice what they said to Moses. Numbers 14, verse 3 and 4. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. I'm telling you today, there was a time I used to get shocked, but the Lord is saying to me, don't get shocked anymore. I'm just showing you what I've seen a long time ago. What we see taking place in the church around the world is spiritual Regression. I would haste to say, and I'm saying this humbly, but but with a lot of prayerful thought, it is more difficult, yet not impossible, for a congregation to experience spiritual regression if the pastor is continuing to push and say, go forward. It's more difficult. See, Moses kept saying, Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. But when the moments came, he said to the people, go forward. What did he say? Go forward. And I am trying to be as faithful as I can to the call on my life. And I'm saying to you, it's time to go forward, not to go back in any particular. Go forward. What direction did I say? Go forward. But I wish that were the case in every pulpit. And I'll leave that to the Lord, because the Lord is more concerned about the direction of His leadership and His church than I am, and I will never do the devil's work by even calling a single minister lost, because God, if there's matters that need to be completely put together and straightened out, God is still in charge of His church, and He will set everything in order, from the top to the bottom. But this is the hour that what is ahead of us should consume our interests more than what's behind us. What is ahead of us should consume our interests. What's behind us should be purged from our thoughts. That's what the Apostle Paul meant when he said in Philippians 3, verse 13 and 14, look at what he said. He made that point. What's behind you, purge it. What's ahead of you, let it consume you. He said, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are where? Behind. And reaching forward to those things which are where? Ahead. Look at what he talked about. He didn't say, he didn't say meander. He said, I press. What do I do, church? I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the hour the church needs to press. In basketball, they call it the full court press. In football, they call it the one yard line. The goal is right there, press. We've got to press. Because as the songwriter said, just over the mountain in the promised land lies a holy city built by God's own hand. And soon, my brethren, we will enter never more to Rome. Hear the angels singing. Come on, old Adventists. We are nearing home. Praise the Lord. You see, one of Satan's failed attempts to overthrow God's government was continued in his attempt to overthrow our faith. Satan was unsuccessful in overthrowing God's authority, but his aim has now become to overthrow our faith. Listen to the quotation from Councils on Stewardship, page 154 and paragraph one. Listen to what the Lord showed his servant. As the people of God approach the perils of the what days? Last days. This is a chilly statement. Satan holds Earnest consultation with his angels as to the most successful plan of overthrowing their faith. That's what he wants to do to us. And here's why he wants to overthrow ours. He sees that the popular churches are already lulled to sleep by his deceptive power, those music only churches. <laughs> Uh, 7 seven words repeated 11 times. Already lulled to sleep by his deceptive power, by pleasing sophistry and lying wonders, he can continue to hold them under his control. Therefore, he directs his angels. To lay their snares, especially for those who are looking for the second advent of Christ and endeavoring to keep all the commandments of God. Is that a sobering thought? He's already got them. I got the political leaders. I got the nominal churches. I got the folk that are geared to just be emotional. I have the people that are looking at success and financial success and all these things that can't not get them off the earth. But that group, that group, if I could get them, I got the world. If I could get them, he, he, it took him thousands of years to get Israel. But he so thoroughly neutralized them that they ended up crucifying Christ. Sabbath keepers? Vegetarians didn't dress like the nations around them, but they ended up crucifying Christ. You know why? Because they abandoned their last line of defense. What are some of Satan's snares that we have to uh, guard ourselves against? One of those is declining interest in spiritual things. He is accomplishing that by neutralizing the church. If the churches can't open in Miami and New York, and a lot of major cities around the world, in San Diego, and you can't go to church, then Sabbath becomes just another day. What are we going to do today? Well, let's go to the park. Let's go to the beach. Let's have a picnic. Not that any of those things are inherently wrong in and of themselves, but the slow, insidious, dilatory dilution of spiritual unity is taking place all over our nation. I got a call from my good friend, Jim Rennie, <laughs> down in New Zealand. He said, John, he's a New Zealander. Happy New Year. I said, how is it down there? He said, we are a COVID-free society. However, he said, If one case is noticed in society, the nation immediately goes on total lockdown. You can't even leave your homes. So I said, do you think they'll they'll let me come to New Zealand? He said, no, you can only be a citizen to come to New Zealand. So I said, when you go to the beach tomorrow, just write my name on the sand and say, John Lomacang was here. (laughs) And he took a picture Went to the beach, wrote my name in the sand. John Loma King was here and sent it to me. Brethren, this is not the same world. This is not the same world. And in America, why America? Because this is the place where all the final movements are to take place. This is the country that God opened the doors up to, suvi- to cause the church to survive. You read Revelation chapter 12, The earth opened its mouth and helped the woman. The earth swallowed up the flood, which the dragon spewed out of his mouth after the woman to cause her to be carried away by the flood. When the counter-reformation rose up in Europe, the Lord sent the church to America. And America was born as a nation built on Judeo-Christian principles. But that's not what it is any longer. It became a nation with Christians in it. But it also opened the doors to whatever you can believe, you can be a part of this society. But that's not the same in this nation any longer. That's why the church that's going through this COVID test and the new strain coming out. My family, my wife's family in Europe, in England, in London, they're talking about the the, the debilitating condition of society. The crisis nature that's gripping the United Kingdom with this new strain of COVID. My brethren, we have to be awake to spiritual things. Another sneer of Satan is increasing interest in worldly things. Love of the world, lukewarmness. Another sneer is weighed down by the cares of this life. Let me tell you, if the world gets too hard for you to handle, cast all your cares on Jesus. Pray like you've never prayed. And then trust him with your life. He won't let us down. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Amen, somebody. If the world gets too hard for you to handle, don't call friends, call Jesus. Whosoever call upon the Lord shall be saved. Then we have another sneer, the electronic and social media slavery. Some folk don't know how to handle social media, and they have become incarcerated to various websites. Incarcerated. They are chained to Facebook and Twitter and Instagram because they don't understand that if your diet is not more on God's Word, but if your diet is more on those things, you will be inoculated. You will suffer anhedonic tendencies, meaning the inability to experience the simple, beautiful pleasures of God's Word. Way down. Electronic and social media slavery. Then on the other side, you have immorality. Sexual immorality tearing our churches up. Immorality. Marriage is falling apart. Adultery. Homosexuality being brought into the church as though it's something natural and normal. Immorality at the highest degree. Then the love of money. Then God is at the bottom of the list. And even more diabolical, the inability... To focus on God's word. They need to be born again. The Apostle Paul dealt with this in the church at Ephesus. Look at the book of Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 14. He dealt with this at Ephesus. And that's why Solomon the wise man said, There's nothing new under the sun. Whatever has been, will be. The devil made it work in the New Testament church as they began to grow. And as we get ready to go into the new kingdom that God is preparing for us, the new Jerusalem, that's not on earth, but's in heaven. The devil is using the very same tools. But what did the Apostle Paul say to the church that was about to die? Therefore, he says, awake. Say that with me. Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Praise the Lord. If you wake up, the Lord is saying, I got some light for you. And so many of us, when I went into that forum and came out of that forum, I said, Lord, is this what we have to look forward to? He said, hey, hey, that's probably not a shock to you, but let me show you where it is that you don't think it is. And then we had that experience last night. Adventists joining all these adverse movements. Jim Jones, that whole Jim Jones movement, there were Seventh-day Adventists that went off into the Jim Jones cult that died in Guyana. There were Seventh-day Adventists that died in that other cultic movement there in Waco, Texas, that I call Waco, Texas. David Koresh began by giving Bible studies on Sabbath afternoon in one of our churches in Pleasant Hill, California. He was a young, enthusiastic gentleman who knew his Bible well, gave Bible studies as an Adventist, Two Adventists, and they end up dying in Waco, Texas, when he took on the ideology that he is Christ. Why did that happen? A boat that is not anchored will will begin to move as the waters move. But if your boat is anchored, you will not move when the ocean begins to stir. We've got to have an anchor in the Word of God. Say Say amen, somebody. We must have an anchor in the Word of God. We must allow our anchor to be deeply buried in the understanding of God's Word. And we must be individuals that refuse to fall asleep in spite of the fact that the world is trying to inoculate the church. And I thought about it, Eric. I thought about it, Ian. What would happen if a soldier decided to sleep? And I decided to look it up. And the Uniform Code of Military Justice, Article 113, let me read it to you. And I'm going to preface it by saying this. If sleeping Christians understood the implications of a sleeping soldier, we would not be sleeping. Let me read it to you. According to Article 113 of the Uniform Code of Military Justice, These are the things that could happen to you in a time of war if you were caught sleeping. You may be executed for failing to uphold your duties as a sentinel or lookout should you be found guilty while the country is at war. If the case is referred to capital, that is to higher command, Secondly, if you escape the death penalty for sleeping, you could face incarceration that might last decades. What did they do? I just fell asleep. At the very minimum, you will lose all your pay, allowances, and benefits, and you will be forced to enter civilian world at an extreme disadvantage, a dishonorable discharge. The world is at war. Jesus is saying to his church, See, I have told you beforehand. He is saying to us, If they did this to me, and I am a green tree, what are they going to do to those who bear no fruit? Jesus is saying to us, He that endures to the end shall be saved. Jesus is saying to us, Take heed that no one deceives you. He's saying to us, Now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. You see, brethren, the war that began in heaven had behind it a Magna Carta of Satan's plans for the earth. Listen to Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 to 9. The Bible revealed Satan's Magna Carta, his plans, his agenda for the earth, and he's not by himself. And we're familiar with this passage, but it fits here today. And war broke out in heaven. Are we in a war? Yes or no? We're in a war. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail. Every time I read that passage, I got to pause. But they did not prevail. Amen. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out. Remember when he was cast out, he was cast out. He was great. So the great dragon was cast out. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan. Who deceives the what? Whole world. We're in the world. He doesn't want to end there, Alice. He wants to deceive us too. Who deceives the whole world, and he has help. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. From that day to the present, every earthly system opposed to the commandments of God has had the same agenda, to deceive anyone who can be deceived. And without the word of God, you can be deceived. You will be deceived. The Lord spent three years training his disciples and he sent them forth as laborers into the field. He said, pray for the Holy Spirit. Pray for the Holy Spirit. Brethren, we've got to pray for the Holy Spirit. We can't just think that learning the Bible is all we need to do. Every day we have to pray for the Holy Spirit. Why? John 16, 13. How be it when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will lead you and guide you into all truth. If the disciples needed the spirit of God, then there it is on the screen. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority. He speaks on the authority of God's Word. But whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. He will keep our eyes open to what's on the horizon. That's what the Spirit of prophecy is all about. The Spirit shows us The unfolding of prophecy. And God's servants who are receptive to the Spirit, as Elijah was, as the Old Testament prophets were, as the apostles were, as God chose Ellen White, that humble servant, to be, they'll have their eyes peeled on the horizon. And nothing infuriates the enemy more than you knowing what their next move is going to be. (laughs) Am I right? Look at the story of the Syrians. Elijah kept telling the Israelites what the Syrians were about to do, and they said, Who keeps telling them what's going on? And the Syrian soldier said, it's not us. But there's a man in Samaria. He knows what you're thinking even when you're in your bedchamber. Said, go get him. (laughs) Go get Elijah. Go get Elijah. Go get those Adventists. What God did for Elijah, he's going to do for his church. What do you say? They came after Elijah. And Elijah's servant said, Lord, at last, what shall we do? And he said, Lord, open his eyes. I want to tell you, friends. It's time for us to open our eyes because they that be with us are more than they that be with them. God will dispatch His angels to surround His church and preserve us in times of trial even when the enemy comes against us with horses and chariots in battle arraignment. God will send chariots of fire to preserve His church. So I'm not worried about the devil. But from that day to this, the devil is angry. But who is he angry with? Revelation 12 verse 17 Make no mistake about it. This passage is not something that just should be familiar with us, but understand it in its intentional context. Why is he angry? Because he knows that God's last line of defense is found among these folk. And the dragon, Revelation twelve seventeen and the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the what? Testimony of Jesus the testimony of Jesus Christ, he would not be upset with us if he didn't think that we had something that causes him consternation. Why be upset with somebody if they can't harm you? Why be upset with your opponents if you don't think that they know what your plays are? As a basketball player, I haven't played in months, almost a year, but I remember when we used to watch professional basketball, when the championship came around, the coaches of the opposite team will go get all the videotapes of all the games of the team that they're going to oppose, and they start breaking down their moves. They say, "See, look at see see Kyrie Irving's crossover. See when he does that? When he does that, shut shut down his weak side. You see see LeBron. LeBron when he when he backs up, double team him. They study the moves. Let me tell you, friends, the devil has been studying the moves of the Seventh Day Adventist Church for a long time. Been studying our institutions. He's been studying. How we do our hospitals, how we do church, how we do colleges. He's been studying how pastors preach, how church members serve. He's been studying our videotapes. That's why the early, the early quotation he's looking for the most successful plan of overthrowing our faith. He's studying the videotapes. He did that to Eve in the Garden of Eden. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. When he lost the battle in heaven, he decided. Okay, I'm going to come after Adam. Look what he did in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God gave Adam complete control and dominion of the earth. And Adam became the second line of defense. God said, Adam, you be obedient. You don't have to worry about a thing. But the day you eat of that tree that's forbidden, you will surely die. Your defenses will fall and you will open a door that will take 6,000 years to close. So the devil decided, I'm going to be awful about this because Adam is the only one I want. So how did he come after Adam? Look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. How did he come after Adam? He didn't come directly. He was too subtle to come at Adam directly. So he decided to go the other way. Now the serpent was more cunning or subtle, as the King James Version says, than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said... You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. The devil knew that Adam and Eve's line of defense was what? The word of God. So he began by saying, did God say that? Eve, do you know what God's word says? And she decided to do what God never intended for her to do. Go toe to toe with an enemy that was far greater in skill and experience and wisdom and tactics than she had ever been. And she lowered her guard by lying and saying what God never said, verse 2 and 3. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said. The door opens up to deception when you say what God has never said. You shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. God never said that. He said, don't eat. He didn't say, don't touch it. He didn't say, don't touch it. She added that. Whenever you alter God's word, you open the door to the opposing forces. Eve opened the door. You know the rest of the story. He gained access to Eve, deceived her. and The Bible says in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6, she also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Adam was the first line of defense, standing between Satan and total domination of the world, and he failed. And for 4,000 years, the children of Israel bore the responsibilities, and they saw the results of Adam's disobedience. Can you imagine what Adam must have felt like when he laid his wife to rest? Can you imagine what Adam felt like when he had to bury his son Abel? after Cain killed him. He said, that was the result of my disobedience. And don't ever fool yourself. Disobedience has consequences. And he saw for 930 years, Adam saw the results of not sticking to a thus saith the Lord. Jesus came, and Satan was concerned about the coming of Christ, Because he knew that Jesus was not just coming, honey. He knew that Jesus was not just coming to save the world. He knew that Jesus was coming to take back the world. Because he had lost that dominion. Adam had lost that dominion. He lost control of the earth when there was a meeting being held. In the book of Job chapter 1, Satan came to this gathering. And the Lord said to him, where did you come from? And he said, from going back and forth and to and fro in the earth. He claimed ownership of the earth. He claimed to be the dominant force on the earth. So Jesus came. And in John 14 and verse 30, when Jesus came, he even acknowledged that Satan was the ruler of this world. He says, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. Now, why is that statement significant? Do we think that the ruler of this world is coming after us? Yes or no? Jesus just revealed to us what needs to happen for the devil not to take us down. If he can find anything in us that he can hold on to, we are no match for the enemy. So I'm saying to you, begin to inventory your life and ask yourself the question is there anything in your daily life that shouldn't be there? If the answer is yes, then when the prince of this world has, when the prince of this world, Satan, comes, He'll find easy access, and your defenses will definitely fail. So to try to defeat Christ, Satan in his in his temporary position as ruler of this world tried to bargain with Christ. Look at Luke chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. He tried to bargain with Christ because he knew that Jesus now on earth became the next line of defense against him taking over the world. Adam was the first one on earth. He failed. Jesus Christ became the second line of defense. He tried to neutralize Christ to to dominate the earth. Look at Luke chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. So he decided to try to bargain with Jesus. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me. He was correct. Adam delivered the world to him. And I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Can I pause and say something? Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't fall for that? Come on, somebody. I mean, aren't you glad that when the, when the devil, and by the way, when you read about this, Ellen White says that in a, in a moment in time, Satan, in a panoramic view, Showed Christ all the kingdoms of this world from his time until the very end. In all their glory. He said, Do you want that? You want that? I could give it to you. But you gotta worship me. But Jesus said, I'm not gonna sign on the dotted line. I don't like the conditions. Of this contract. But I like the conditions of my father's contract. So here's my reply. Matthew 4 verse 7. And Jesus said to him. It is written. Come on somebody say it again. It is written again. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Jesus reversed the roles and says. You think you're God. No I'm God. And it is written as the foundation on which Jesus found his line of defense. Let me say that just so the point don't fly by you. Jesus could have easily said, I am Christ. Did you not forget I I created the world? Jesus could have easily said, I am the son of God. Jesus could have easily said, do you not remember that we had this conversation in heaven before and I? Remember my left hook? It knocked you out of heaven. You remember this conversation? Do you remember that? So why are you asking me those questions? Jesus didn't even get into any kind of arbitrary negotiation or idle conversation. He just simply said, "It is written." What did he say? And and you know what? I know it might sound like a a record that has a skip in it. For those of you that had record players, remember that. I might sound like a record player with a a, a scratch on it, a record with a scratch on it, but I'm going to say it again. If you don't know what is written, the devil will bring you down. I guarantee it. And every time I verbalize something, every time I verbalize something, I have to learn how to keep my mouth shut so I don't tell the devil what the Lord is impressing me to do, Iris. I verbalize stuff, and all of a sudden... COVID comes back up and the things that we planned, we got to cancel. I said, we need a week of spiritual revival. All of a sudden, COVID comes back up. Got to cancel it. But I said last night and I said this morning that this church, and I've been praying about this, that 2021. should be the year of doctrinal integrity. Now, what on earth does that pan out to mean? That means that when we have our Bible studies, that means that literally every church member this year, praise God, we have the evangelism funds to do it, should never come to prayer meeting without a full set of Bible lessons and their Bibles, and a notebook. And when this year ends, by God's grace, I know the devil's upset by me just saying this. He's going to attack you and give you every excuse in the world, either by Zoom or by in person, to find a reason not to participate, because he knows that if you are prepared for the battle, he cannot bring you down. I've watched watched shows on television. I've watched like a... Don't watch it any longer, but when T.D. Jakes was preaching his sermons, I would look into the audience, and I would see all of his church members with their Bibles wide open, and they have this big loose-leaf notebook, and I looked down the entire row, and everybody's got a loose-leaf notebook, and their Bibles open, and he's spending time with just one verse in the Bible. They're steady writing everything he says. And I thought to myself, would to God that the people of God did that. We had one lady in our church in Fairfield, California. When we left after six and a half years, and we went to visit her before we were leaving, had gone a number of times because she was the wife of my head elder. She had a stack of notebooks, blue binder notebooks. And she said, Pastor, let me show you what your time in this church has done for me. And she pulled out a box of notebooks. And she said, I can tell you what you preach, when you preach it, because I've taken notes of every sermon you've ever preached. And I thought, what? so to remember what I preached, I looked in her notebook. Okay, okay, so what did I preach? Okay, here it is. And she went back. She had the date of the sermon, the sermon title, and she had notes all the way through. And I thought, wow. She said, Pastor, my life is a lot stronger because of you. And I said, God be the, if God can use a pile of dust like me or you to strengthen somebody else's walk, and this is what God wants to do to every one of us. He wants to make every one of us that instrument where we are teaching somebody else how to be strong. He wants us to feed others. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That clarion call, that, that, that commission is given to every one of us, not just to me. So if 2021 becomes a year of doctrinal integrity, why doctrinal integrity? Because we are being tossed by doctrinal inaccuracies even amongst us. And if we don't know how to defend our faith, another Adventist who is spending time twisting their minds around books written by folk that walked away from truth, they're going to be able to twist you around like a pretzel because you don't know how to defend your faith. We have to know how to defend our faith. Amen. When Jesus... So the Wednesday nights and the Sabbath evenings not just going to be good Bible stories. We're going to begin now to start. Make sure everyone in the church has the lessons. Our elders have it. Our deacons have it. Our deaconesses have it. The church members have it. And that becomes our marching orders. We are going to enter into what we call basic training so that when the battle comes, the people of God will be ready. You'll see later on before I close the message why this is so vitally important. God has called us to be ministers to equip you not just to preach to you. That's why I'm so glad when Jesus came forward on the morning of the resurrection. Matthew 28, 18, I love these words. When Jesus came forth on the morning of the resurrection, the Bible says, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in where? Heaven and on earth. And let me make, make it very clear. He gave the authority to his church. Today, we have the authority to stand on the word of God, to stand on the promises of God, to stand on the truth of God, because all the authority belongs to him. And I'll just give you, I'll just, I'll just give you a little snippet. That's why we should not have to worry about earthly authorities, because Jesus has all the authority. But the devil heard that. And when he recognized that he did not defeat Christ on the cross and his imps were helpless, he thought to himself, but he's leaving. He's leaving. And he said to his demons, wait, he's leaving. And he was there on the Mount of Olives when Jesus ascended. And he watched the disciples standing there looking up. And the angels had to remind them, why stand ye gazing? This is not a time to stand around. This is a time to get busy. And the devil said, he left. And then we read the words of John in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. When Jesus left, look at the words that heaven echoed back to us. When Jesus was victorious on the cross, look at the words. I praise God for these words. Verse 10 and verse 12. Revelation 12, verse 10 and verse 12. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. Why? For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been what, friends? Cast down. When Jesus won the battle in heaven, Satan was cast out. When Jesus rose from the dead, Satan was cast down. He lost the battle a second time. But here's my last point that I'm going to unfold before you today in the closing portions of the sermon. He lost the battle in heaven. He lost the battle on resurrection morning. But he has one more bullet left in his arsenal. He knows that God's last line of defense is still in place. And this time, let me build it up a little bit. He was successful in deceiving the angels in heaven. He added to his arsenal by getting wicked men to join him in the earth. And he still didn't defeat Christ at the cross. But he said, we got to do it a little differently. Look at verse 12. We have to do this last one a little differently. He only had a little bit of experience in heaven when he decided to try to overthrow that government. He had 4,000 years experience when he tried to overthrow Christ. Now he has had the experience in heaven plus about 6,000 years experience to try to overthrow us. If somebody worked on military tactics, Ian, for 6,000 years, you better be awake because by then he will be the marksman of marksmen, the sharpshooter of sharpshooters, the ballistic specialists of ballistic specialists. And the Bible says in Revelation 12 and verse 12, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. You don't have to worry. But woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you having what? Great wrath. What kind of wrath? Great wrath. Because he knows he has a short time. And he says to his imps, can you come up with some suggestions as to how we could win this battle? And one angel, one evil angel said, tell them there is no God. He said, I tried that. It didn't work. Tell them that Jesus is not going to return. Well, I've tried that, but they're still waiting for him. And one angel said, I got a suggestion. Tell them they have more time. Tell them they have more time. No need to be worried. And the devil said, I like that. Tell them there's nothing urgent. You've got time. Peace and safety. Don't worry about it. So he goes back to the woman, and this time he comes to her because he now knows that there's only one last line of defense. I'm gonna break this down into two parts. There's one last line of defense in a movement, and in that movement, there's a line of defense for that movement. Let's go to the movement that is the last line of defense between Satan and total domination of the Christian world. Revelation 12, 17, you heard it before, but I'll read it in your hearing. And the dragon was enraged with the woman and went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. This is the picture that God presents to us as as his last line of defense against Satan's total domination of the Christian world. Do you believe that? Because this is not the same woman. She stands in truth. She keeps the commandments of God. She understands prophecy. This is the woman that the devil is concerned about. And the servant of the Lord in selected messages. I now understand as I read. And I praise God for these insights. I praise God that he was loving enough to us to give us additional insights. To help us to see behind the scenes as to what the enemy is planning for his church that he loves so much. Selected Messages, Book 2, page 12, paragraph 1. She says, speaking about this very passage, the Seventh-day Adventist church is brought to view in prophecy in the setting of conflict, for Satan, the dragon, wages relentless war against those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. Why? The great adversary knows That if he is successful, listen to me, in misleading and confusing Seventh-day Adventists, he frustrates the purpose, the purposes of God. If I can confuse them, where do you think this foolishness came from amongst Adventists? Just in the last few years, they're saying, well, the Holy Spirit is not a viable person of the Godhead. What do you think this departure from the judgment hour message has come from? What do you think this ideology among Adventists, I was confronted by an Adventist when I was at the nominating committee up at, the, up, 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 up at the, one of our churches in Chicago. I, was, I went there to vote in offices and an Adventist pulled me aside on the foyer and began to contend with me that Jesus was a created being. And I'm thinking to myself, are you serious? But that's proliferated in our churches, and I'm I'm thinking, I'm listening to the names of people that are embracing this ideology that somewhere Jesus was created, and he's not the creator. And I go through the list of names of people that are believing that, and I thought to myself, I thought that they were sound. But I want to tell you, the devil doesn't need a broken window. He just needs a cracked window. That's why in the Old Testament, as well as in the New, the measurement of safety is the same. Isaiah eight twenty, the Lord said it again. He told them in the Old Testament. He said, seal the law among my disciples, Isaiah eight sixteen, And then he made it clear as to what he meant in Isaiah 8 and verse 20. Look what he said to the Old Testament church. He said, to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, why? It is because there is what? No light in them. When you have folk that are in the movement that are not speaking according to what God's word reveals and truths that are confirmed, be careful. Be careful. And I've discovered something. Because the moment you begin to entertain what they're saying, they don't back down. And then they make you feel as though if you don't accept this doctrine, You're lost. And then they say manipulative things like, I feel so bad for you. They try to play on your psyche. I feel so bad for you, Ajima. If you would only reject the fact that Jesus is really God, you'll be okay. And I said to this one person who sent me a letter here, an email. Somebody sent me an email. They were watching a sermon I preached on 3ABN. And they they said, I was praising God and saying amen until you mentioned the Holy Spirit. And then I knew you were not a true prophet. An Adventist wrote that. And I wrote them back. And I said, if you want to play with your salvation by grieving the Holy Spirit, you go ahead and do that. Because you're suffering from the same thing the Pharisees are suffering from. And Stephen, before he was stoned, he said, you are just like your fathers. You do well to resist the Holy Spirit. So this is not new. The Holy Spirit was resisted in the days of the the disciples and apostles, and it's coming back again. Brethren, do not fall for it. Can somebody say amen? You you go ahead and grieve the Holy Spirit. Why would the devil want us to grieve the Holy Spirit? Because he is the means by which we are sealed for salvation. When you turn the lights off, you walk in darkness. Evangelism, page 119, paragraph 3. Just a few more quotes and we're done. Evangelism, page 119 in paragraph 3. Paragraph 3. Listen to this. Seventh-day Adventists have been set in the world as watchmen and light bearers. To them has been entrusted the last warning for a perishing world, the last line of defense. On them is shining wonderful light from where? The Word of God. They have been given a work of the most solemn import, the proclamation of the first, second, and third angel's messages. That's right. There is no other work of so great importance. They are to allow nothing else to absorb their attention. Is that sobering? The most solemn truths ever entrusted to mortals have been given us to proclaim to the world. Why do you think the devil is upset? But listen to how it ends. The proclamation of these truths is to be what? Our work. work. But how can you work together if you can't even worship together? The world is to be warned, and God's people are to be true to the trust committed to them. You see, the only way that Satan can gain access in transferring our allegiance is if we forsake our last line of defense now let me show you what it is go to first timothy chapter 4 and verse 6 it's not unusual it's not unusual that the battle is coming in these areas and the lord revealed to me as i'm studying the word of god even this morning because my my, my guys at audiovisual, dan and 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 dave and those who are watching and jonathan that are working on audiovisual that are putting the slides up for us This morning, I came and gave them a new outline of my sermon because as I woke up this morning, the Lord says, okay, you're almost there. But remember, John, these are the areas where the devil is fighting Adventists against Adventists. And I thought, what is it? And he gave me these passages. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 16, which was our scripture reading. Take heed to yourself and to the what? Doctrine. Doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Now, you know, Sunday churches have abandoned doctrine or sound doctrine. Matter of fact, to put it together completely, look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and 5. This gives you the full picture. This gives you the full picture. And now we're saying, now we're hearing, I heard it last night. Somebody said to me, an Adventist said to me, you Adventists, stressing about the Sunday law and about doctrines, if you just preach only Jesus, we'll be just fine. (sighs) False Christ-centeredness. Using Jesus to get rid of the teachings of His Word. But listen to what the Lord inspired the Apostle Paul, to write. 2 Timothy 4, verse 3 to 5, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Let me make it clear. Paul was not talking about the world. He was talking about the church. And there was only one church, the fledgling church growing up. In Paul's day, this already began to happen in his day. He was not talking about Catholics and Pentecostals because there was none. There was only the secular-minded, and the church. And he was saying, even in and amongst us, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to what? Fables. But look at this. But you. Who does he say? He's talking to little Timothy. You, Timothy. Timothy. Timothy, you, but you, be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. When you stand for truth, you will be afflicted. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. He says, this is the call on your life. Don't allow yourself to fall into the quagmire of unsound doctrine. He's coming after Adventists with unsound doctrine. Why? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 and 15. Let's hit it and then let it go. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 and 15. Isn't it good to use God's Word? Look at the Word, look at God's Word. Why is the devil coming after us with false doctrines? He knows the Word that sometimes we ignore. What did Paul the Apostle say to the church at Ephesus? The problem was there too. He says that we should no longer be what? Children growing backward, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of what? Doctrine by the trickery of men. We got Adventists that are becoming agents of darkness. If you don't know your word, they'll bring you down. In the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, they wait for their moments. They wait for their moments. They look for your weak moments. But what should we do? But speaking the truth, how? In love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head. And who is the head? Christ. But now Paul, now Paul analyzes the church. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 2. He is saying the time will come, men will not endure a sound doctrine, and every wind of doctrine will be blowing. Let me tell you something. If you don't know the doctrines of truth, you will be blown away by the doctrines of error. He now analyzes what was, what was fighting against the church at Corinth. Listen to what he said. He said, I fed you with milk and not with solid food. Why? For until now, you were not able to receive it. And even now... You are still not able. Paul said to the Corinthian church, how long have I been preaching about the Sabbath? And some of you are still saying, what does the Bible say about the Sabbath? What is the three angels' messages? What is the sanctuary message? That's why we have to be, this year has to be the year of sound, of doctrinal integrity. We've got to get back and, as a church, take time, chisel out our schedule so we can get together with our Bibles and our notebooks and be so fortified by truth that nothing coming can shake our faith. He says, I want to give you meat, but I can't because you can't handle it. Somebody once said to me, they sent me an email, they said, Pastor, why do you keep talking about Revelation? Can't you just talk about it? And they start pointing out topics that I should talk about. I said, you sound like a, somebody in a different denomination. Ignore Revelation. Just give us this. Paul had the same problem in the Corinthian church. I want to give you some meat, but you can't handle it. Now I'll go to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 to 14. I'm showing you, the, I'm showing you the, 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 the urgency of this is not new. You see, the devil knew what worked back then, and he's trying to make it work again. When you don't know the truth, you cannot see the danger. Hebrews 5, verse 12 to 14. <laughs> This is amazing to me. He's talking to mature Christians that should be more mature spiritually. He says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food, growing backward. For everyone who partakes only of milk is what? Unskilled in the word of righteousness. They don't know how to use their sword. For he is a what? A woman that grew backward. A baby. 35 years old, but really three years old spiritually. Second or third generation Adventists, but only four years old spiritually. And the devil says, I know I could find the babies because they are on the Internet all the time. They're on Facebook all the time. They ain't reading their Bibles. I've been in their house all week. They come to church on Sabbath morning if they feel like it. Now, I understand COVID is frightening for many people. I'm not talking about that. But he's measuring us. Let's look at what, if, look what he says. Look at verse 14. But solid food belongs to those who are what? Full age, mature. That is, and watch this, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both what? Good and evil. Let me make a statement. Seventh-day Adventists that don't know the truth can tell the difference between good doctrines and evil doctrines. And they'll call evil good and good evil. We went through an onslaught last night. that this morning my wife and I woke up and she said to me, what just happened? What just happened? My last scripture, John 17, 17. The words of Jesus. John 17, 17. And my point is remain faithful to the truth as it is in God's word. Remain faithful to the truth as it is in God's word. What did Jesus say? Sanctify them by your truth. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. The Lord is saying, I need you to sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. When we are not allowing the truth to sanctify us, you know what sanctify means? Set aside. Set aside for a holy use God can only use us for holy purposes if we allow the truth to sanctify us. Not just the doctrine of salvation, not just the truth of the Holy Spirit, not just the fact that Jesus is our Savior, but if we're not being sanctified by the truth, God cannot set aside those of us who should be sanctified for any holy purposes. So here's my point as I close right now. Remain faithful to the truth as it is in God's Word. Can the church say amen? Remain loyal to the three angels' messages because it's not being preached any place else. It's not just for us. It's for us to share with the world. Thirdly, remain faithful to Jesus. Remain faithful to Jesus. May the fruit of the Spirit show up in your life. God's Word will not fail you. Become so sold out to Christ that nothing can shake your faith. And make God's word your last line of defense. Look at this last quotation in the book, Darkness Before Dawn. What's the first word? None. Let's say it together. None. But those who have fortified the mind with the truths of the Bible will stand through The last great conflict. To every soul will come the searching test. Shall I obey God rather than men? The decisive hour is even now at hand. Are your feet planted on the rock of God's immutable word? Are we prepared to stand firm in what? In what? Say it together in what? Defense of the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. God's word, the truth of God's word is our last line of defense. Make no mistake about it. If the word of God, if you're not studying God's word, if you're not becoming proficient and strong in what you believe, you're going to fall. Fall. Chisel out of your schedule. Turn off the things that are going to go up in flames and turn on the Word of God that is going to ignite us that the Word of God and the truth of God could be seen through our lives. Brethren, God calls the Seventh-day Adventist Church to be the last denominational line of defense. But God calls His truth To be our line of defense. Did you get that? If the devil could take us out, he has the Christian world. But if the devil can keep us from our Bible, he has us. We are the barrier between him and total domination in Christianity. And the word of God is the barrier between Satan's total domination of our lives. Let the word of God be the foundation on which you stand. I want you to pray that you you would not allow God's word to fail you. That you will make God's word the foundation on which you stand. That you will begin to chisel out husbands and wives together. My wife and I do this together. We're now in the book, The Song of Solomon. I recommend that book to married folk. If you want to enhance your marriage, read The Song of Solomon together. It got so sweet last night. My wife and I read five chapters Couldn't stop. I was falling in love with her all over again. (laughs) But may God's word sanctify your home, your marriage, your family. It can strengthen you for the battle that's just ahead of you if you turn your eyes upon Jesus. Our Father and our God, you are allowing the world to be shut down that the hearts of your people can be opened up. The things of this world are growing strangely dim. As you allow the stores to close one by one, the places that we have become so familiar with to close one by one, you are saying to us, Disconnect from the things of the earth. Lose your passion and drive for things that will become one day simply ashes. On the foundation of past memories. And just over the horizon, Father, if we can tune our ears, we can hear the flapping of angels' wings. Returning to and fro from the earth and declaring, my work is done. We can see the angels going through the churches, setting a mark on the heads of those who sigh and cry for the abominations done in the midst thereof. And you're sealing your people, getting us ready for a battle of which our imagination cannot even conceive. But Lord, you have not left your people defenseless, You have given them your word as a sword, your promises as a shield, your truth as our defense. May we as a people called to lift up the standard of Christ, to show the world what the love of God really is, to declare to the world what salvation and forgiveness really is. May we be calibrated to the urgency of the hour so that when the work on earth is done, that there will be those who have been rescued from the grasp of the enemy. I pray, Father, also for those amongst us. For Seventh-day Adventists, who for one reason or the other are allowing their minds to be redirected, false doctrines to be poured in, and their hearts to grow dim and cold to this everlasting gospel. I pray that as a church, Lord, we can be so bold and determined that we say to the enemy, no, I will not give you my soul. For my mansion is being built. My robe is being sewn together. My crown is being polished. The streets of gold are waiting for my feet to walk upon those grounds of eternal bliss and promise and joy and peace. And so, Father, bring us today back. Recover us. May we be diligent in what we're called to do, but may we be diligent even more in the study of your word. May the husbands lead their wives. The parents lead their children. May those of us who are single yoke up with someone else that we can study the Bible together with, even on the phone, that we can be so prepared for the battle That when the enemy comes, you will lift up a standard against him in our lives. So thank you, Lord, for reminding us of our last line of defense. I give you all the praise and the glory. Father, keep me awake and keep us dedicated. That all these things may be glory and honor to you alone. And that we might be saved. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.